really what we're talking about is how does a church go from its infancy through its childhood to its teenage years and into adulthood? And what does an adult-like church look like? You know, I'm, I'm guessing that there are a lot of pastors today hoping that their churches are growing up and that the individual members are growing up. How many, how many sermons do you think are going to be preached today all around the world? Sermons in churches like this? Sermons in schools around the country, maybe around the world? Churches in Egypt or Afghanistan that have to maybe just meet in secret in a house if they can meet at all, or in China where it's illegal to meet, but they're meeting anywhere, anyway. What, how many sermons are going to be preached today? It's amazing. It's almost mind-boggling to think it's got to be hundreds of thousands of sermons preached just today. And then if you go back through the centuries, all the way back to the time of Jesus, then how many sermons? Millions? Billions? I, I confess I don't know. No one seems to have the answer. I did try to look up some sort of an estimate, but there have been a lot of sermons preached since Jesus preached his sermons. But I will argue with you, not that I want to argue with you, but I will argue that there is in all those billions of sermons, one sermon that sticks out way above and beyond all the other sermons. And that's the sermon that we're going to be looking at today. If you were to ask most people, what's the most famous sermon ever preached? I think most people would say, well, Jesus preached a little sermon that has what we call a title that we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, by the way, is a conclusion, was the most famous conclusion of a sermon that was ever preached. And today, that's what we're going to be reading. The most famous conclusion, when you hear these words, you're going to go, oh yeah, I've heard those words dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. The most famous conclusion of the most famous sermon ever preached. So that's worth listening to, isn't it? Yeah, so let's stand and listen to those words. Jesus is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. It takes three chapters to record it. And then he says this for his conclusion. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You, you can sing it, right? The wise man built. No, you can't sing it? All right, that's okay. I'll teach it to you one day. You all know it. Come on. All right. You're just shy. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When, he had, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority 
and not as their teachers of the law. Have a seat. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, send your spirit to be with us through these words. Send your spirit to be on our hearts and on our minds. We desire, Lord, to have a deep relationship with your son, Jesus, as our Savior and as our Lord. And as we hear these words, teach us how we can grow our relationship with Jesus deeper and deeper. And in fact, how you, by the power of, of your spirit, are going to grow us deeper into a relationship with Jesus. You are the hero of this story and always will be. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So all these sermons, and yet it comes down to one that's extremely famous, one where Jesus teaches about how one man built his house of faith on rock, and the other man built his house of faith on sand. And then he talks about what I like to call the one big difference. And it's in your notes here, that's what I wrote it down as what is the one big difference between the wise man who built his house on the sand and the foolish man, or the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand? Look at it carefully. I, if you want to grab your notes, I put two passages side by side, Matthew 7, 24 in Matthew 7, 26. And what Jesus is really teaching us here is the design he uses to build you and me into a deeper disciple, but also into a stronger, deeper relationship with him as your Lord and Savior. So let's look at this more closely. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you're looking at that, at that very carefully, you, you're noticing that the wise man and the foolish man did one thing exactly the same. Did you notice it? What did both the wise builder and the foolish builder do? They both listened to the word of God. Now, that's a little surprising to me because when I hear about a foolish person, I'm thinking, well, he, G Jesus is talking to someone who doesn't even believe, who, who doesn't ever listen to the Bible, who is checked out when it comes to God. But that's not who Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the people who come to church. He's talking about the people who are in a Bible study and in a growth group. He's talking about the people who volunteer at church, who help out. They're active in the church, and yet they do, each of them does one thing differently. Look at it again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's the difference? Second part? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. In Jesus' day, when someone wanted to be a disciple, this, this was across the board, not just a disciple of Jesus, but it was also true of Jesus. 
He was a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, and so when you became a disciple of Jesus in Hebrew or Aramaic, you were known as a Talmud. Now, the distinguishing feature of being a disciple, a Talmud, and all Talmudim did this was they lived and walked and spent 24-7 with their rabbi. All of them did this. It wasn't just coming to Bible class. It wasn't just attending church or synagogue. It was living. And we see that with Jesus, don't we? When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, they did. They dropped everything and they just started following Jesus around everywhere he went. Often they were, you know, in the choice seats in the front when Jesus was teaching. And they helped serve. If loaves of bread or fish needed to be passed out, there were the disciples. When men needed to be sent out to share this gospel message, they raised their hands and said, send us out, Jesus, and we'll even take some others with us. This was what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus in Jesus' own day. And so it was expected of a Talmud that it was not just a matter of listening but that if a person wanted to be a disciple of Jesus they were not going to only listen but they were going to put into practice and that that's what Jesus is saying here and by the way when you start to read the Bible with this thought kind of caught in your head that a disciple is someone who comes to church and listens but then goes out of church and and immediately says, well, how do I live that? How do I put that into practice? It changes everything. And you're going to see a whole bunch of Bible passages in a completely different light once the understanding is being a disciple is not just about letting his words come into our ear. Now, am I saying that listening to God's word is unimportant? Not at all. As you read through these Bible passages, you're going to find this the same every time. It always starts with, listen to my word. Listen to God's word. In fact, I'll read a passage from Philippians, the Apostle Paul. He takes it a few steps further. But it's always start here and then put it into practice. So here's what I want you to write down first. The key differentiating factor in developing strong faith and a deep relationship with Jesus is practice. So I want to dive into that a little bit, but first let me, um, let me ask you this. You know, practice can be difficult, right? When you took your driving test, remember, I was 16 when I took my driving test. And it was one thing to read the driver's manual, and even take the test. But then when I went on the, not the written test, but the actual driving test, I was a little nerve-wracked. I knew from my friends who had already gotten their driver's test that they were going to ask me to parallel park. One of the things that I was never great at, I'm so grateful right now for backup cameras. I want to get one of those fancy cars that will parallel park you itself 
and then I can just take my hands off the steering wheel and I'll be great. Practice is not always the easy thing. And yet, it's so important. Would you have ever really learned to drive the way you know how to drive today if all you ever did was study the manual? And it is the same with our spiritual growth and development. That to really deeply learn involves reading, listening, meditating, all those beautiful things that we encourage you to do all the time, but also then saying, okay, how is this going to change what I do today? Uh, a lady once told a story to me about her five-year-old and her going to Target. And um, she, they went and they did their shopping, and when they got back out to the door, it was a deluge, a downpour. And they're standing there with their shopping cart at the door, and there's a bunch of other people waiting. So mom says to her five-year-old, she says, what do we do? She's asking the five-year-old for advice. I like that. And the five-year-old says, let's just go. Let's get wet. And mom looks at her like she's a little crazy. It's pouring out there, she says to her. No, mom, let's go. Let's get wet so we can get home. Mom looked hopefully at the sky, hoping that the rain would stop. And it didn't, and it didn't. And so finally the little girl says, let's go for it. And they did. And they ran out. Mom had been waiting because their car was apparently on the, you know how you do when you want to take those extra steps? They had parked it way out there. And so by the time they got to the car, they were both drenched. And Mom immediately turns on the heater. And you know what her little five-year-old says? That was great, she says. Yeah, we're wet, but we'll warm up, we'll dry, and now we can go home. I wish more Christians would say, it's not always easy to put into practice what God's Word says, but let's get our toes wet. Let's, let's dive in, despite the difficulties, despite what might happen to us, Let's dive in because that's the way home, eternally home, is to dive in and to put into practice what Jesus said. That's the way that you can build a deeper relationship, a deep dive relationship with Jesus, and a way to know how to live in joy and peace every day. I want to I share with you this next passage. I want to talk to you about something called the maturity cycle in just a moment. I, I can't emphasize enough that when you're reading the Bible, this is just a little sidebar reading, how to read your Bible. I'll probably give you these every once in a while. Pay attention to the conjunctions. Who's the grammar teacher here who knows what a conjunction is? Conjunctions are, help me out, come on, Ann. What? Yeah, they're joining words, right? And the best joining word in the Bible, the best conjunction in the Bible, you'll hear me say this again and again, is the word and. Because you see it over and over. And really, the word and, that little three-letter word, is, is the word that helps us all understand who God is best. Think about it. Who is Jesus? True God and true man, right? 
How do we like to teach the Bible at Amazing Love? We want to make sure you get law and gospel. And it, and it goes again and again and again. And if you were paying attention closely, you saw that word in that passage we read. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That word and is so important. Just a little three-letter conjunction. You're going to see it again just now. Look at this from Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned or received, or is another conjunction, you can watch for those, and those are important too, but we'll focus on and today. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and there's that fabulous word, and the God of peace will be with you. So many times in the Bible we read uh, God saying to us, uh, Christ saying to us, the apostles saying to us, learn, receive, hear, and put it into practice, and then something is going to happen really, really good, and it's a promise. When you hear and put it into practice, the God of peace will be with you. This is, this is why James tells us so strongly, and James is the brother of Jesus, don't merely listen to the word of God and so lie to yourselves, deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Because James knew, Paul knows, Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount knows, you want the God of peace to be with you? Want to have a deep, strong relationship? Put the and in there. Listen to God's word and put it into practice. Can I ask you a, a kind of a challenging question? Before I told that story about the mom and her five-year-old daughter, I could have asked you this. What, what's your natural setting? For the five-year-old girl, it was different from her mom. Mom's setting was on comfort. I don't want to get wet. Let's just wait. The, her five-year-old daughter's setting was on challenge. Let's go. Let's get this done. And so that's the question I want to put to you. When you came to church today, what was your setting on? Was it on comfort? I, I'm hoping to just sit there and not have to do too much work. I hope Pastor Jeff doesn't ask me to remember much of what he says, uh, or even, you know, I hope he doesn't ask me not to think about golf later. Or was your natural default setting on, I'm gonna challenge myself. Do you know how important the audience is in a in a relationship like this? A lot of times audiences, and I do it too, trust me, I do it too, will come in and, and think to themselves, ah, <laughs> pastor's gonna do all the work today. I can just sit here and hopefully I'll be a bit of a, a sponge. There's two things I want you to know. And I've talked to Pastor Dustin about it. I know it's true of him as well as me. Your energy that you project toward the stage makes all the difference in the preaching and teaching you receive back from the stage. I'll bet the singers would say the same. 
Sometimes at my old church, there was a completely different energy from the 9 a.m. service to the 11 a.m. service. And I felt it every time. But it takes a, a willingness to say, I'm going to challenge myself to project some listening energy to the pastor today so that he can see that I'm paying attention and I'm a willing learner and I'm open to what he's saying. But there's another way in which I hope you came willing to challenge yourselves and will always come willing to challenge yourself. And that is, and I'm not going just to be a sponge. That when I sponge in everything that Pastor Dustin or Pastor Jeff have for me today, I'm going to go out and I'm going to water some plants in this big sponge. I'm going to take that water and I'm going to spread it around. I'm going to do things with it. I'm going to show the love of Christ. One of the biggest things that a Talmud, a disciple, did in Jesus' day was to say to himself, not just do I want to know what the rabbi knows, I want to imitate and act like the, the rabbi acts. And so the second big way we can always challenge ourselves from a Sunday morning or a growth group meeting or a volunteer session is to say, how am I going to take a little bit of this and spread it into my world, my work world, my Sunday afternoon world, my neighbor world, whatever it might be, how am I going to take this and do that? Whatever you have learned, Paul said to the Philippians, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. And guess what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you. One of the biggest reasons I love being a Christ follower is the peace that it gives me. I told you last week that I would share a few little things about myself in the upcoming weeks so you get to know me better. Having become a Christian at 16 years old, I had a pretty long 16 years apart from Christ, and I got to see what that life looks like. And my dad was an alcoholic, so he gave me a really good picture of what that life looks like. He was an alcoholic not just a little bit, but to the point where he ended up, when I was 16, destroying his liver and his kidneys, and he died. And I watched all of this play out. I watched the fights, sometimes somewhat violent between my dad and my mom. And my dad, I say all of this with great affection for my dad. I love my dad, and I loved my dad all through this and my mom. But I didn't love when he would lash out at my mom with his temper. I didn't love when he would come home in such a stupor that he would walk into my bedroom thinking that he was in the bathroom, sorry for this, it's going to get graphic, and pee on my floor because he thought he was in the bathroom peeing in the toilet. I didn't love any of that. But you know what it did for me? It gave me a, a great picture of what life apart from Christ is like. I believe that a lot of my dad's drinking was really anxiety that he didn't know how to control. And he was just trying to numb his feelings. 
and he found a chemical way to do that. Am I any less anxious of a person than my dad? I would say probably not, by nature. Every time I have to stand up here, you, hopefully you didn't notice, but one time, even this morning, I reached behind, thank you, Catherine. She, she left her program on her chair, and I'm like, oh, what comes next in the service? And I grabbed the program and looked at it like, oh, okay, the reading comes next. Why? Because my little lizard brain is saying, you better worry, you don't really know what's coming next. Of course I'm anxious. I'm guessing you guys are somewhat anxious. The difference isn't in, do you get anxious if you're a Christian or not? The difference is, what do you do about it? And the beauty of listening to God's word and putting it into practice, Paul's promise to you, to me, is the God of peace. God will settle the little storm that's going on in your heart and give you the peace I think that most people are seeking. You and I have met people who are in their 60s, 70s, even 80s, have had very successful lives apart from Christ, and have told us, but I still don't feel like I have purpose or peace in my life. Because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you and I, we have that beautiful peace in our hearts, our minds, because God promises it. Now I want to show you something. Before the service, I wrote something on, on the back of my notes. Can you see that? I want you to take a pen if you have one. I want you to write this. Now, Pastor Dustin, see, he, he said, I can help you with that. They're not going to see that. Not even if you hold it out there. But they might see that. He took a picture and he put it up for me. Thank you. Pastor Dustin is so awesome. I want you to write that on the, on the back of your, your notes. This may be the most important thing you take home with you today. Because what does and mean? And means it's a cycle. You listen to God's word, get filled with God's grace and truth, which then motivates you to say, I'm going to put this into practice. Who knows what might happen if I actually do what I learned today in church. And the gospel is motivational. It's inspirational. When you hear that Jesus died for your sins and that they're all gone and that you don't have to deal with guilt or shame, that you have hope in the midst of a, a life that can sometimes feel pretty troubling and hopeless, that you have all these blessings from the gospel, then it's like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he does. And then you, that pushes you down into the bottom half of the cycle, put it into practice. What's the only thing that can happen as you try to put God's word into happen? There's only two things that can happen. Do you know what they are? One is, like most of us, you fail. That's called sin. We sin and we fail. We don't put it into practice, or we only partly put it into practice, or we roughly speaking put it into practice, but not really. That's the one thing that can happen. We fail. But the other thing that can happen because the Holy Spirit works in the Word is we what? Come on. What's the opposite of fail? We help me out. 
succeed. Of course, you can succeed with the Holy Spirit's help. Now, when you fail or when you succeed, notice the arrow. When you fail, what happens? You get driven right back up into the Word of God. Why? You're seeking forgiveness. You're seeking hope that with repeated exposures to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit might strengthen you to get to a point eventually, maybe with some patience from God and yourself, where you do succeed. If you succeed, typically you're going to receive that presence and peace of God, and you're going to go, I want some more of that presence and peace. And so you go back up again. Now, this is the, the cycle. And nature is filled with cycles. Think about this. If you're thinking, oh, that's, that's odd that God would use a cycle. Why is that odd? God, like we're going into fall. I went for a bike ride yesterday, and I saw some orange and yellow and red for the first time since I've been here. We're going into fall, and after fall will be winter, and after winter will be spring, and after spring will be summer. One of the reasons I love to go to the beach is the beach is a perfect illustration of cycles. In comes the wave, out it goes again, in comes, it's calming. And then the tide comes in, and then it cycles to low tide, then high tide, then low tide. Nature is filled with cycles, and so is your spiritual life. And how does Christ and the Holy Spirit build a deeper, stronger faith through a cycle? Through an and. Listen to God's word, and put it into practice, and your faith will grow stronger as you go along. Because God will do it. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus means when he says at the end of the sermon, in the conclusion, the wise guy follows the cycle. The foolish guy doesn't. The foolish guy is like the farmer who says, oh, late fall, early winter, perfect time to plant my seeds. What? Now, I'm not enough of a farmer. Maybe there are some seeds that belong going in the ground then. I don't know. So forgive me if I've got that wrong. But I think if I'm remembering correctly from my biology class, most farmers plant in the spring or early summer, and then they harvest in the fall because they're wise enough to follow the cycle. Are we wise enough to follow that cycle? Because God's promise to us is the God of peace will be with us if we do. In fact, he strengthens that. Take a look at the third point. The wise person... Oh, wait a minute. Back up. Let's do the fill-ins. Nature is filled with cycles. The hidden secret to spiritual development and depth is to cycle intentionally, to be aware of this and say, how can I be part of that process? Now, point three, the wise person will stand strong. That's a promise. Take a look at how Jesus puts this in the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in his conclusion. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Now read this next part with me. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Such a simple statement. It didn't fall. 
even though there were a lot of challenges. The rain was coming down, the streams was, were rising, the winds were blowing and beating against that house. Now, you're going to encounter challenges in your life, too. You are. It's guaranteed. Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble. God will send you trouble sometimes to challenge you the way a good coach does in practice so that the players are ready for the game. Satan will send challenges. Why? Because the moment that you stepped by the Holy Spirit's power into faith, who became your enemy? Who wants to take you out and take you down? And he knows that he can rob you of your peace through just a few little troubles and challenges and hardships here and there. And he will try, guaranteed, because he's your enemy. And misery loves company. And as miserable as he is, he wants you to be miserable right along with him. You're going to face challenges because God is working to burn off the sin in your heart, in your mind, in your life. And that's why he sends the tests. And anytime you get your hand close to a fire, it's painful. And then, I don't know about you, but with me, I have a lot of sin that needs to be burnt off. It's a daily thing. Heart, mind, life. And so I'm, I'm just telling you this to say with so much that's going on, God testing us, burning off our sins, Satan testing and tempting us, we're going to have trouble. The rain's going to come down. The streams are going to rise. It's going to happen. The winds are going to blow and beat against you in life. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What a beautiful statement. And this is what I want you to go home with today. It's a beautiful gospel message that when you follow Jesus Christ like the early Talmudim did, listen to what he teaches you, especially listen to that beautiful message of grace and forgiveness. Carry that around with you everywhere you go. And then when you say, I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going to be confident tomorrow when the streams are rising and the rain is falling, the wind is beating against me. I'm still going to be confident that as we heard sung to us today, I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I live in God's grace. Put that into practice in your heart, mind, and life. And of course, take those commandments. Put them into practice too. They're so important. Here's your last couple of fill-ins. It is Jesus' promise that a deep, strong relationship with Jesus can be mine too. So what's your next step? Do you know why a church exists? Why we exist for each other? Very briefly, here's, here's why. We exist to set up environments for each other. Can I say that again? We exist to set up environments for each other. See this? This is a worship environment. Yesterday I was in men's uh, group. That's uh, an environment for men to come and gather around the Word of God and strengthen and encourage one another. We have other groups. We have ministry teams that pray together before they serve. Those are environments. First of all, thank you for serving to set up these environments for each other. When I say the church sets up environments, I don't mean Pastor Dustin and me. 
you guys are the ones that set up the environments so that you can serve your fellow believers and those who aren't believers yet. So your next step is to think about some of those environments. Would you be well served in that cycle we had up there if you were in a group or in a ministry team? That's your next step. Think about that. Pray about that. Sign up for that. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that we get to walk around every day saying, I am a child of God. That's who I am because of Jesus, because of the cross and the empty tomb, because of forgiveness and grace. I am a child of God. Lord God, Heavenly Father, all of us have a lot of sin that needs to be burnt off. But we, we thank you for the truth that you use in your scripture to burn it off. And now we ask you to send your spirit to inspire us to live it out in our lives and put it into practice every day. Help us to take the challenge to walk from this church today and take what we're learning and put it into practice every day in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.